Welcome, everyone, to Keeping It Civil, a podcast co-sponsored by the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership at Arizona State University and Arizona PBS. I'm Josh Sellers, a professor of law at Arizona State University, Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law. And I'm Henry Thompson, a professor of political science at Arizona State University School of Politics and Global Studies. This is an interview show in which we talk with scholars, writers, intellectuals, and thought leaders about civil dialogue, the American political tradition, and intellectual life more broadly. We're two friends who agree on many things, disagree on many things, yet share a commitment to exploring difficult issues in the spirit of improving liberal education and public discourse. Thank you for listening. Henry, how are you, my friend? I'm very well, Josh. I hope you are too. Good to be with you, launching season three of the Keeping It Civil podcast, a co-production of the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership with Arizona State University and Arizona PBS. The podcast has been on a hiatus for a while, so I'm excited to be working with you to bring it back to the listeners. Me too. I'm happy to be here, Josh. And for our first episode of the relaunch of the podcast, today we're talking to two of the people behind the podcast at the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership. That is the director of the school, Paul Carice, and the associate director of public programs, Carol McNamara. So we're just going to talk to them about the school's mission and how they see the podcast fitting into it, what they hope for us all to get out of the podcast. So we hope you all enjoy the conversation. We're glad to be joined today by Paul Carice uh, and Carol McNamara. I'd like to ask them if they could introduce themselves. Paul, we'll start with you. I'm Paul Carice. I'm the director of this new department at Arizona State University called the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership. Carol? I'm Carol McNamara. I'm the associate director for public programs for the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership, which we also call SCADL. Well, thank you for joining us. So for those who are unfamiliar with Skettle, Paul, let me ask you just what sort of classes does the school offer and what kind of topics does the school aim to address? We teach undergraduate students in a couple of different degrees and uh, certificate, and also we have a master's degree now. We are in our fifth year, and we generally describe the curriculum for both undergraduates and graduates as a blend of a liberal arts curriculum about civic thought and economic thought and leadership with a civic education, the leadership word at the end of our long title and the word civic at the beginning point toward the idea of practicing mm-hmm. the ideas, the liberal arts, knowledge and abilities and interests that we develop in the classroom to think about being, especially in American terms, an American citizen or if it, international students or aspiring citizens to be thinking about free people, self-governing in a range of dimensions of life. It could be in public affairs and politics and government. It could be in civil society and in business and the private sector. Mm -hmm. My background includes having taught for almost two decades at the U.S. Air Force Academy as a civilian professor. So the leadership approach that we take in the school is partly shaped by my experience teaching a blend of liberal arts and leadership studies in a military academy. So we think the RTC cadets and midshipmen at ASU could benefit uh, from some interaction with us uh, liberal artsy uh, types. But, and we certainly know that the civilian students and faculty in Skettle would benefit with some interaction with our military colleagues. In Skettle, it's, you know, there's the academic component, but there's also a lot of public outreach and community events. And at Carol, I know you're responsible for planning a lot of those. If you could just talk about some of the events of the past, and I know there's uh, an annual big conference as well. 
Right. So when Skettle was conceived, it was conceived as an academic program, but it also was conceived with the purpose of having a strong, a really robust public programming, which would involve both the students and the faculty and the community in broad discussions about the compelling and challenging issues of our times. And so from the very start, we brought together faculty from the Cronkite School and from the law school and from different departments on campus to collaborate with us to create a public discourse project. We call it our civic discourse project. And every year we select a theme. Our first year we discussed free speech and intellectual diversity on campus and American society. We've discussed polarization and civil disagreement, citizenship and civic leadership. Our purpose is to have a broad conversation with the whole community around ASU about these compelling issues. So you guys hope that you'll get people coming onto the ASU campus to attend these sorts of events. Is that right? That's a big part of what you're doing? It it fits with the ASU charter to have a public speaker series, the Civic Discourse Project, that attracts not only ASU students and faculty and staff, but a broader community. And then the partnership that we have with Arizona PBS, from the very beginning, Carol worked on that, was an attempt to extend the audience, so to speak, for the public speaker series events to anybody who could find us via video online. I did want to jump in on the idea of putting together an undergraduate and now graduate curriculum with a public speaker series to address the Mm -hmm. foundational issue that our school, a department at ASU, was a civic project by the state government in collaboration with the leadership of Arizona State University. So in 2016, the state legislature and the governor pushed this idea forward to the leadership of Arizona State University as a very unusual funded mandate, that there was a need to have this blend of the liberal arts study oriented toward civic leadership and service for initially for undergraduate students. But Related to that was the idea, the phrase that Carol used a moment ago, intellectual diversity on the ASU campus in higher education more generally, to have a place where the teaching and then broader programs would emphasize the important disagreements that free people have about very important questions of self-government in all dimensions of life. And this podcast, this co-production between uh, Skettle and PBS, is an extension of that as well. So, Carol, if you could just talk about the kind of vision that you had for the podcast and the type of guests we're going to be talking to. So the podcast, in some ways, it's an extension of the Civic Discourse Project, an important component of it. Because when we bring speakers to campus, it's in a public setting where we ask them to engage with the public about these kinds of issues and to answer questions from the public and to model when we have two people or even just one, we ask them to model this sort of civic discourse about these pressing issues. But 
The purpose of a podcast, of course, is to provide a venue that's a private venue that goes out into the public, but which allows for the give and take and expansion of discussion on the issues that they've addressed while they've been on campus with us. We had a version of it previously with a different podcast host, and then we wanted to relaunch it with two different podcast hosts, Josh and Henry, so that we would bring these two different perspectives, two different voices to engage with our speakers and to investigate their views, to investigate what they think and give them a place where they can expand on those views. You mentioned, Carol, the Civil Discourse Project, right? Is that is that something that has been going for many years with different themes, or is it something discrete from what has been going on in the past with your different speaker series and conferences? So when we first started, we didn't have an umbrella title. We began with this idea of pursuing a discussion about free speech and intellectual diversity, which is really, in some ways, one of the fundamental themes of our school, to provide a place on campus for this exchange of ideas among people who may disagree, who probably do disagree, within the classroom, within student events. But we also wanted to provide a community place where this could happen, a place where where the community could come and engage with our speakers and engage with students. Our engagement with Arizona PBS led us to seek a kind of umbrella title, and we arrived at this title, The Civic Discourse Project, because our school and our public programming is a project to bring together the community and students to have these conversations, but it, it but just as Paul was explaining, it's a civic project. It's a project to engage people in the discussion of what ails us and what we can do through conversation, through discussion to address those particular challenges. And so that's why we called it the Civic Discourse Project and why we seek every year a different theme that arises from the particular issues that we're facing in society at that particular juncture. Paul, what's on the horizon for Skettle? Where do you see the program going over the next few years? Where do you hope it will go? We are still a startup. We're still building. It's in, in our fifth year. We're thinking of continuing in the paths that we've been on, adding some new things. We haven't mentioned so far that we have two centers which many departments or schools at ASU and other universities have. And the centers are also a blended concept of some research and, and big ideas or questions that a center is pursuing with public outreach, speakers programs or, or podcasts or publications of certain kinds. So we have one center on the study of economic liberty, and we have another center on political thought and leadership. And the Political Thought and Leadership Center does a great deal of our work on civics and civic education for the school as a larger entity. So the, the school houses these two centers. So we'll continue to be a very complicated entity as a school, and we'll continue to develop these two centers, continue to develop our degree programs. The rationale for having both a speaker series and a podcast, it does go back to this argument, judgment that was made in 2016 by state government and the ASU leadership that there was a need in a public university to have a new entity doing these multiple 
missions. And Carol mentioned uh, what ails America. I think the, the state legislature and the governor and the ASU leadership thought there are some improvements that could be made in the education provided to ASU students and then in the public outreach efforts made by ASU precisely to address the decline, so it seemed, of robust but civil discourse on campuses among students and across students and academic experts and faculty, and then in speakers invited to campus and and the kinds of debate that you know has not always occurred in American higher education, but there certainly were periods when it was very widely shared and widely prized that a divergent set of views on important topics should be heard, ought to be heard, speakers ought to be invited. And in the decade before 2016, when we were launched, there had been a, a series of incidents and writings and arguments about certain views that should not be heard on university campuses, certain kinds of speakers that should not be on campuses. So the, one of the funny things that we do is we debate that. <laughs> we talk about that. You know, It is a university. It's not a public park. It's not a political campaign. It, it's a university. It's a separate kind of uh, distinctive kind of discourse meant to be more reasonable, meant to be more civil than some other uh, spaces of disagreement, but within a certain set of parameters that we constantly talk about to feature the idea that smart people can reasonably disagree about really important things. So we will, we, we think we're meeting a need. We hear from various people that we are meeting a need with these kinds of speaker programs, the Civic Discourse Project, and also the podcast. So we, we look forward to continuing with all these different ventures. Paul and Carol, you are both political scientists. You're trained as political philosophers, and you've taught both of you at several different universities for a few decades now, each maybe. Is this decline in open discussion, disagreement among academics – is this something you've witnessed in the course of your careers getting worse? Is it something that you had observed yourself in your careers before you were asked to lead the schedule? Is this something that was sort of a pressing mission for both of you? I think that on campus, all of the research points to the fact that students, on the one hand, have become increasingly concerned with professionalization, with pursuing careers in STEM and along various paths that will get them a job, that will help them to make a living when they graduate. And that there's been, even before some of the issues that Paul was just discussing, there have been challenges to get students to study ideas and to engage in these kinds of conversations. In some ways, they're very busy. They don't take the time to read the books that make them and, and raise the questions that lead them to become educated and thoughtful citizens and human beings. And so I think that it was a path that we might have been on along the way. And then recently, there have been challenges in the public domain where, you know, certainly politically, the United States is more polarized. Certainly, students have become more averse to having conversations about politics and ideas that might be contentious. They think it might be better to avoid those things. And so a school like Scuttle, where we study ideas and we put those ideas in front of them and require them 
to read texts and talk about those issues, we think is an important part of their their education, a liberal education that challenges them to sort through difficult ideas on their own in the classroom and with their classmates in conversation. And then the Civic Discourse Project, our public programming, is a kind of extension of that into the public realm. It's interesting you talk about this and with the schedule, it seems like predominantly these are political ideas that people are discussing. What is the way to organize public life or politics, right? But, you know, my first degree was actually in German literature. And there we were supposed to engage, you know, to the extent that like an 18-year-old can engage with questions of what is the good life. You know, we read about Dr. Faustus who made this deal with the devil, etc., etc. Do you think that what the schedule is doing is closely related to what the humanities department's doing at ASU or is skill doing some of that stuff as well to engage with some of these related questions that also are definitely not addressed in things like an engineering degree or a math degree, right? That's just, it's simply not done in those sorts of disciplines. I did mention we earlier that we were interdisciplinary, but I'm going to pitch this to Carol because in fact she teaches a course, multiple courses on the intersection of literary views of the civic and the good life with these more social science disciplines. So, Carol? I mean, I think it's important to consider that a lot of the questions that students have are questions about how how to live well. What is the good life? How do we live together? How do we organize ourselves? These are the questions that they encounter in texts like Plato's Republic and Aristotle's Ethics. So the texts of political philosophy are, in a way, at the foundation of the education that we're providing. But these are also questions of the history of political thought. And the course to which Paul is referring is a course I'm actually teaching right now, which is called Politics and Literature, in which, for example, we're addressing the tensions between Republican government and the weakness and fragility of that kind of government and how it could be challenged and undermined by certain kinds of political leaders. I'm teaching a book called The Education of Cyrus by a man named Xenophon, who is a student of Socrates, an older contemporary of Plato, who sort of blows up the small old Persian Republic and founds the Persian Empire. And then we're going to read Shakespeare's Roman plays, Coriolanus, which is about the Republic, Julius Caesar, which is about the destruction, the beginning of the destruction of the Republic, and Antony and Cleopatra, which is a play about the beginning of the Roman Empire. So you're absolutely right. We draw on texts of economic and political thought and literature to expose students to all of these ideas. And just one more thing, we have courses where we take students away, where we take them with another Dr. Kreese, uh, Susan Kreese, up to Prescott, and we sit around and read books and talk about them for a week. Shakespeare's plays, what they teach them us about leadership, what we can learn from texts of political philosophy, poetry, morality, philosophy about leading a life of meaning, for example. We also have uh, two international courses that we've developed on the theme of liberal democracy in different, very distinct cultures, civilizational, geographic contexts. So our first course that we developed on these lines was in India, and we still offer that course. We've, we had to 
pause during the COVID period, but we are starting those international courses again. So India, as a liberal democracy, in what ways it's similar to what most Americans are familiar with and what ways it's distinct. And then the second course we developed, which we're doing again in May of this year, is in Israel and the West Bank. Both courses feature, as in America and, and our liberal arts and civic studies, they feature debate and disagreement. Probably the Israel West Bank course features that a bit more prominently. And so we, we've always called the course Israel and the West Bank and not just understanding Israeli liberal democracy. So we think this whole range of experiences we're offering in the classroom, beyond the classroom, the, the speakers program, this podcast, all of it, it's the, the, the range of thinking and experiences and interests that thoughtful Americans also ambitious to lead or serve in some way, or you know, friends of America and friends of liberal democracy. This is, these are the kinds of experiences they need, this package of uh, thinking and doing that w would be a helpful foundation. Carol and Paul, specifically Carol, you mentioned a lot of books by Shakespeare and ancient Greeks and things like that. You're teaching long, lengthy texts to students who increasingly are engaging with their friends and the outside world on their little screens on their smartphones. Have you noticed it's more difficult to get them to read these lengthy texts as time has gone on and they've become more engaged on social media and other media? Or has students' interest in these sorts of texts remain the same? Was it always difficult to get them to read such long texts? How are you dealing with students changing media consumption habits? I am fascinated in how to get students to read something that long. Well, in a way, I have to say that the school is partly self-selecting. Students who don't like to read are not going to do a major in the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership. But it's also true that there are a lot of students who sign up for a class and they take it because it fulfills a humanities general education requirement, for example. But they they get there and they suddenly realize this is what they thought that university was going to be, that they were going to be reading books and studying ideas that made them think about what the, what the meaning of life is, what the, what the issues are that, that human beings should consider if they're going to understand what the content of a good life is. If you had to give an elevator pitch to the parent of a high school senior or to a high school senior themselves, what would be your elevator pitch for why they should come and take a Skittle major rather than another major at ASU. If you're going to go to a college or university in a free country, you ought to be part of the small set of people who don't take for granted freedom and a self-governing liberal democratic government. You ought to find some time, even better if the university or college requires you to find some time. <laughs> to study what it means to be a free human being and all the challenges of sustaining free people who disagree about just about everything, as has happened in America since at least the 1770s and we began to think of ourselves as America. So part of our pitch to families and to students is if you are aware of the fragility of our form of government and our form of politics, you could spend some time 
at university, a minor, a, a PPE certificate I was mentioning, philosophy, politics, economics, or a major with us, invest some time in thinking about those issues, learning the intellectual habits and also the civic habits of disagreeing, as the podcast title has it, disagreeing in a civil way, keeping it civil, that it's perfectly fine and it's natural and very American to argue and to disagree. But we have seen a very persistent pattern for well over a decade of the claim that I shouldn't hear other points of view because they're despicable. They're, they're, they're immoral. They're just wrong. And, you know, one thing for that to happen out in politics and in journalism or media, but to have it be that message be reinforced on university campuses or college campuses. There are certain topics we just can't discuss or debate anymore because they're simply wrong. Again, there are some kinds of discourse on university campuses that are not appropriate. They're violent, filled with hatred, not reasonable and cogent. But within that set of parameters, there's an enormous amount of thinking and debating to do. So... That's not a short elevator pitch, is it? That's a very long elevator ride. No, I think we're on about the 3,400th floor. That's all right, Paul. That's all right. It's a pretty long elevator ride. Can I just add something, too, to my answer previously? I wanted to add that one of the things that I do when my students come into the classroom is I ask them to put away their computers. I ask them for... You know, 90 minutes or 75 minutes of just us sitting with our books, reading and discussing them. And that is hard for them. You're right. They're just constantly tempted by to pull out their phone. I understand that temptation because I'm sort of wondering what's on my phone, too. But just requiring them to expand their attention, their attention span, I should say, to study and think about Whatever the book is or the text is that's in front of us, just for 75 minutes to keep them. So I don't want them to have their computers in front of them. I don't want them to be tempted to check their email. And and I think that helps, too. If they don't like it, they won't take my course. But I think a lot of our faculty have that policy in the classroom. So, Paul, as you know, I teach at uh, ASU, Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law. We've been an affiliate and an ally uh, with Skettle. Can you talk a little bit about that background? It's a great experience for us from our very first year, which was 2016 into the 2017 academic year. We had two faculty at O'Connor approach us about initially a speaker project on the theme of free speech and intellectual diversity. And ever since, we've you know, found further law faculty. Cronkite School of, of Journalism and Communication has also been an ally and a partner. So now, in a way, it makes perfect sense that sort of permanently on the team, we've got a law professor uh, co-hosting the, the podcast and a, a professor from another unit at ASU, School of Politics and Global Studies from Henry's unit, uh, joining in this idea of reasonable but robust disagreement on important topics and, and how that's an extension of a very important supplement to learning uh, that goes out of the classroom. And Carol, I, I know that there's a, a longstanding relationship with PBS as well. In fact, I think I, I've seen at least a couple of scheduled PBS events on Arizona PBS. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship? 
When we first arrived on campus, we were immediately partnered with Arizona PBS. And the original conception was that we would produce our events in their full form and that Arizona PBS would reduce the programming to half-hour episodes for television. But of course, even since we started five years ago, the world has changed and everybody is live streaming. So now our events are live streamed and the video goes up on the Arizona PBS website. So people can watch our programming through Arizona PBS and actually at the national level as well and through our website. But this has been a very productive relationship for us because we are reaching the people who are on campus, who can make it to campus and can be a part of our conversations in person, but we can also expand our audience out into Arizona and even to the national level by working with Arizona PBS. And then Arizona PBS began speaking with us about co-hosting, co-sponsoring this podcast because they believe in our public mission to have a broad conversation about important issues and to sort of thrash them out in a podcast as well as through our public programming. So we're really grateful for this partnership and for their support in the expansion of the audience that we have for these kinds of important conversations. We've been ending the interviews by asking people about things they'd recommend, not necessarily books, but in any readings, books, could be media, could be something to educate people on these themes of civic discourse, civil civic participation and such. So, uh, Paul, I'll start with you and, and see what's on your reading list or what classics would you recommend for a listener of Keeping It Civil podcast? I always recommend to my students Montesquieu's book, The Spirit of Laws, the single most <laughs> important book. All law professors should know this. The single most important book for the American framers debating, right, uh, the ratification of the, the new constitution proposed in 1787. A recent book, perhaps for a select audience of university professors, university leaders, is by the current president of Johns Hopkins University, Ron Daniels, happens to be a law professor. I won't hold that against him. And it's called What Universities Owe Democracy. Very interesting series of arguments that... As the leader of a research-oriented <laughs> university, Johns Hopkins was founded in the 19th century as the first research-oriented university in the United States, there is a civic mission to a great university and thanks to all universities and colleges in the United States. Used to be a part of the fabric of American higher education, has sort of gone up and down this idea of a civic mission to prepare citizens. It's gone up and down in the past century, and he thinks it's at a really low point right now, <laughs> and university leaders have got to require some coursework in the fundamental ideas, theory, and practice of being a democratic citizen. And then there are further dimensions of it. He has a separate chapter on the idea of a podcast like this or of our civic discourse project in the school there should be further required experiences connected to courses about civil disagreement and discourse, and he uses the term pluralism, that universities owe this kind of experience to the small set of students who do come to universities and college campuses. This is what universities owe to a liberal democracy, 
to prepare these young men and women, these future citizens and leaders, the experience of robust disagreement about topics of the day, connected again to that required course or courses that he thinks all universities and colleges should offer about liberal democracy and constitutional <laughs> principles. So I highly recommend it. What Universities Owe Democracy, Ron Daniels. Great. And Carol, I'll, I'll come to you, and, and you cannot answer Plato's Republic. That's the one condition. <laughs> so, of course, that is my Desert Island book, and I tell my students that, and they all know it. It's fine. But there are lots of books that I read in order to, and podcasts that I listen to in order to to know what people are talking about and and what kind of conversations I want to bring or we want to bring, like the one Paul was just referring to, to campus. What <laughs> kinds agree, of conversations yeah. do we want to have that public intellectuals and scholars are having out in the world? The kinds of conversations we've been having this year are around the theme Renewing America's Civic Compact. And one of the books that I read that left an impression on me was a book by Jonathan Rausch, The Constitution of Knowledge. We'll be having a conversation around that, this idea of how do we, how does the Madisonian Republic, the Madisonian model of building knowledge through disagreement and discussion, how does that how does that support democracy and the production of knowledge? That's one example. And I just continue to read books so that I know who who are the interesting voices out there that we should invite to engage with us in these conversations. Yeah. Okay. Paul Carice, Director of the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership, uh, and Carol McNamara, Associate Director of Public Programs, uh, also at the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership. Thank you for Introducing yourselves and introducing uh, Schedule and introducing the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Henry. Thank you. We're grateful to have Josh and Henry along as our new podcasters. <laughs>